Hey everybody, it's Andy Mazur, and welcome to another edition of my podcast. We have a great show lined up for you today. Coming up in a little bit, I'm going to tell you my thoughts about the ongoing labor situation in baseball. It has gotten ugly. That is coming up. But first, let's tell you about our special guest. He's had a front row seat for every Bulls game so far this season, and what a season it has been to this point. So without any further ado, let's get to today's guest. This is Andy Mazur. It's the podcast. No, it's the wrong way. No, I went right hand. It's done. Counted the foul. I don't believe what I just saw. This episode, Andy sits down with the radio play-by-play voice of the Chicago Bulls. Busted some angles on a crossover. What a play by Derek Rose. The Swirsk. Shot rejected by Derek Rose. Chuck Swirsky. Now you can get to someone. Now, here's Andy. As we welcome you into another edition of Andy Mays with the podcast, of course, we welcome in the radio voice of the Chicago Bulls, Chuck Swirsky. And uh, Chuck, thanks so much for taking some time. We appreciate it. Good, uh, good to catch up with you here. Andy, always a pleasure. Hope you're doing well. Doing all right. You know, I got to say, too, uh, before we really get into this whole thing, that uh, the man I'm talking to right now is one of the kindest human beings I, I think I've ever in- encountered in my entire life. I mean, I, I go back to a day that I, I met you at the United Center not too recent, not too uh, not too long ago. That is with uh, with my nephew who was really into sports and really wanted to uh, to, to kind of find out what it is about uh, broadcasting. And uh, Chuck took some time before a game, and I know how difficult that is sometimes to to allow some time before a game when you're ready to to go ahead and broadcast. But uh, I, I, again, he still talks about it. Well, you know what, Andy? Here's the thing: you treat people the way you want to be treated. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. And uh, I've walked in that young man's shoes. I think we all have. And uh, my mom, rest her soul, she would always tell me, she said, Charlie, because that's what people, my (laughs) friends call me Charlie. Actually, I never heard me being referred to as Chuck until my freshman year uh, in college. But uh, my family members called me Charlie. Good friends called me Charlie. And so my mom would say, Charlie, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. And that kind of marinated with me a little bit. And I really didn't understand. Now I get it. And I've gotten it for many, many years. But so you you don't do it because you have to. You do things because you want to. And so whether it's meeting a, a, a member of your family, whether it's receiving an email saying, hey, I happen to be at the game. Do you have five minutes because my son's interested in broadcasting? Um, hey, I'm all in. Yeah, and I got to say, too, I mean, uh, I've been through some trials and tribulations with the career in the last uh, last couple of years as well. And, uh, you know, to, to open up an email and to open up a, a Twitter and to, to see a kind word, you know, from somebody that's in the business and someone that's been established in the business as long as you have, I mean, that means a lot to me as well as a, as a fellow, as a fellow broadcaster. Well, you know what, Andy, here's the thing. This is a very difficult, competitive, tough business. It's one of exhilaration. It's one of many challenges. We've all been rejected. I've been rejected. I mean, I I get rejected, you know, all all the time, so to speak, from different elements of my position, and it hurts. And everyone who says, well, you can work through it, you know what, Andy, at the end of the day, it hurts, because someone has valued another person 
over you. They don't like your style. They don't like your age. They don't like whatever. And it, it really is very, very painful. If you really want to get to the core root of things, it's very raw. And so what happens is you can go two ways and you can go north or you can go south and or you're stuck and no one wants to go south because south is a very dark place. And I've been there, Andy. Trust me, I've been there. And only through the grace of my faith in God, my wife, uh, and through a very small core group of friends, have they taken me out of that abyss and brought me back to say, okay, you know what? This is a grind. Let's get up. No self-pity. Let's just get after it. And you know what? Today's going to be a good day. Yeah, and your Twitter messages uh, just in general. I mean, I know that uh, you started this a little while ago just to kind of inspire people because there is so much negativity out there on social media. Absolutely. Listen, social media, and I'm on it quite a bit, as you know, Andy, and it can be very, very good. It's good in our business because things, I mean, we used to wait, Andy, I'm from the old school where if a story broke, you either heard about it on channel five, seven, nine, whatever, um, and or two, sorry, didn't want to admit WBBM <laughs> there, um, or you got it the next day in the trip or sometimes or Daily Herald or Southtown. But now if there's a trade, if the 76ers make a trade, it's on within seconds and it's probably with Shams or Woj. I mean, you know, it used to be the beat reporter. We're now, these two guys in the NBA, Andy, are so well connected with agents and players and GMs. And it's a big game. And they trade information for other information, or they've really ingratiated themselves with an individual on the in, in, inside, where now, I mean, it's boom, 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 and it's happening quickly. And so, I mean, you have to adapt to it. I mean, you, you did sports updates for a while, and I do sports yeah. updates every once in a while now. I mean, it used to be we relied on the AP or even back in the day, the UPI or, or whatever. I'm telling you, I cannot do an air shift doing anchoring without having Twitter up because that's where I'm getting a lot of my information. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, you know, like Bears name a new coach. Was it broken by a local writer or broadcaster? No, it was an NFL insider. And so, you know, part of me, I mean, think about this, Andy. You've covered teams. I've covered teams. When you are assigned to a beat, whether it's Casey Johnson or whether it's, you know, Dan uh, with, the, um, with the Bears or whether it's Phil with the Hawks or anyone uh, or baseball, I mean, it used to be that was your beat. And this, we've entrusted you to get those inside stories. And now the national people have basically taken over the landscape of news breaking stories. And I mean, it's just a sign of the times. And you got to, unfortunately, you know, the days of media, the way we grew up and we knew it, especially local TV coverage. I mean, you used to say, okay, Tim Weigel, Mark Greco, Chet Kopic, whomever, Johnny Morris, 
all right, you've got your five and a half minutes. You've got five and a half minutes of local sports and everyone was locked in. I wonder what Johnny's going to have to say today about the Bears. I wonder what Mark G and Greco says about the Cubs or Sox. And you were like into it. And now, you know, you pick up your phone, you get it within seconds. If a guy hits a home run the fifth inning and you're not watching the Cubs game, you get it within moments. And it's either through MLB or the Cubs or somebody, you know, watching the game in Winnetka who decide to put it on Twitter. Yeah, and I'm not going to say that it's it's better now than it was before, or that it was you know better then than it is now, because it's you know it's 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 like that old debate about baseball players from different eras. You can't really compare, even if even if even if you've been uh, involved in both eras. But let's go back to when you first started in Chicago, because I remember uh, there being this brand new sports talk show, and we never heard of the sports talk show when I was growing up until until 1979. When you were on the old AM one thousand, which was back uh, back then, it was a WCFL, and you were doing a sports a nightly sports show. Yep, uh, and and it wasn't technically it wasn't about the major four sports in college. WCFL had this idea they they wanted their slogan their uh, their their whole premise was let's change your lifestyle. So they had me changing topics every twelve minutes whether it was some obscure sport or, hey, we're going to spend time now with Ducks Unlimited. I didn't even know what Ducks <laughs> Unlimited was. I, Andy, I'm being very, very truthful. And so finally, after two and a half, three months, I went in to our general manager. Normally, I would go to our program director, but he really didn't care what I had to say. I came from Columbus, Ohio. I had just turned 25 and I'm in this chair with the lowest rated station in American broadcast history. We had a 0.00. No, we had no commercials. We had a log um, that was a tablet of white paper with nothing on it except (laughs) public service announcements. You know, only you can prevent forest fires. You know, I mean, okay, fine. So I went to our GM, Orrin McDaniels, who is a wonderful man, a beautiful human being, just passed away recently. And I said, Orrin, just let's do this. Give me an opportunity. Give me the keys to the car. If it fails, I know I'm out the door. If it works, great. But I said, we're in Chicago. And let's talk Bears, Bulls, Blackhawks, Sox, Cubs, Notre Dame, Big Ten. And he said, go for it. And to his credit and to the program director's credit, John Watkins, uh, they said, do it. And all of a sudden, it took off where, honestly, I'm getting then. There are no emails, no cell phones back in those days. I'm getting calls from people who work for teams saying, hey, I'm driving home last night and I want to give you a little bit more information on why we did this. And I'll tell you who was great and who gave me instant credibility and was Jim Finks. I owe so much to that man. He ran the Bears and he would listen driving home to the talk show and he would hear 
my passion for the NFL and for the Bears. He wrote me, I still have it, a letter just about, okay, this is this the privilege that you have of doing a talk show. So get it right. And it, it wasn't condescending. It was wonderful. Yeah, well, it became, it, Andy, it was a great professional relationship. Yeah, and you need those. I mean, you talk about instant credibility. I mean, that, that's something that we're, we're kind of all looking for, especially when we start something new. And, and this was kind of pioneering in that day because, like you said, there was nothing else like it. And Chicago, and I, I've been in other cities. I mean, I, I spent some time in San Diego, and I can tell you that the passion between the fans in Chicago and the passion between the fans in San Diego, it's night and day. I mean, it's just yeah. there, there's just no there's no rhyme or reason about it. But uh, there's just this passion for the four major sports, and uh, you can get people that are passionate about the Chicago Fire, the Red Stars. I mean, the Chicago Wolves. We've got it all here. Yes, we do. It it, it is a magnificent city. It's a city that. Uh, putting sports aside that we've got to take care of some issues in our city, like all major cities. And I hope we can you know, do that and get back to where we were, because I am concerned, like you go downtown, stores are boarded up. You know, you go to the Gold Coast or, or, or Streeterville, and I mean, you're thinking, wait a minute, this isn't the Chicago of a few years ago. Let's get back to where we were and where we are and where we need to go collectively as a city together, like together, together. Um, but as far as sports and the passion of the sports, wow. I mean, you know, and I'm sure people in Boston and Philly and New York, Detroit can all say the same thing. Truth of the matter is there's only one Chicago. Yeah, definitely. And I, I can uh, I can agree with you on that for sure. Now, now that uh, that talk show you started at CFL, uh, you, you actually moved on to to the loop to kind of do that as yeah. well. Now, was this something that when you got into this whole thing, as far as being a talk show guy, is that what you wanted to do? I mean, is that something that you said to yourself, OK, well, yeah, I'm going to go to Chicago and I'm going to be I'm going to be a talk show host. And that's what I'm going to do. Now, you know what? My my goal was, well, I'm going to back up a little bit. So as a kid. Um, I love sports. I was horrible. I was the worst athlete. I was the shortest kid in every classroom. And I mean, I got bullied as a kid. Um, and it, it was not fun. Um, you know, I was the shortest, non-athletic. Uh, we would have, we would have PE class. And so they would make us do things like, okay, here's a medicine ball. Well, the medicine ball weighs more than I do. Okay. <laughs> It, it, I mean, and you're expecting me to take this medicine ball that weighs probably 40 pounds and I'm like 48 pounds and you expect me to lift this up and we get and we get graded by how far you can throw the medicine ball. And I'm thinking this makes no sense. <laughs> but again, the times of which we lived in that era, they, they said, hey, you know, you get a D. Why? Because like, I'm thinking to myself, something's amiss. But so I'm a horrible athlete. But when I was a kid, my dad died. Suddenly, my mom is a school teacher. Her brother was a priest and worked and and served uh, the Baltimore community. Well, one of the families that attended this church happened to be Vince Bagley who was like the guy in Baltimore. He was the dean of Baltimore sports. 
He just recently passed away a couple of years ago at the age of 93. Unbelievable human being. They took me in. I lived in their house every summer. I would go to every event of Vince where he went to the TV station. I saw him preparing a TV sportscast. I would go to Oriole games, sit in the press box. I met Ernie Harwell at the age of 11, who turned out to be one of my closest personal and professional friends at 11. And that relationship ended two weeks before he passed away when I went to see him for the final time in his life. I mean, that's how crazy this business is. So here I am, I'm going to Colts training camp with Vince, all these things, I'm meeting people left and right. I mean, you know, Brooks Robinson, the Hall of Fame third baseman in his prime walks into Vince's home because they're such good friends to go play golf. And here I am in the living room and Brooks Robinson walks in Andy, I'm I'm 11 years old. And <laughs> pinch me, pinch what? me. <laughs> so I, but as a kid growing up in Seattle, I wanted to be an NBA play-by-play announcer. That was my goal. I loved the NBA even before the Sonics became uh, an expansion team in '67. But I I would I would turn on the TV, and I would always and the ABC did the games. And it would always be Philly and Boston, maybe a little Cincinnati with Oscar Robertson, and sometimes maybe, maybe the Lakers, but it was always Boston, Philly, and New York. And I decided this is what I want to do. I mean, this is what I wanted to do. And uh, it was a road to get there, obviously, as it is for everybody. And, you know, you have to do certain things to, to get to that level. And, you know, when you went to WGN, you know, we share that, uh, that place in common. Yep. And, uh, you know, you had a lot of duties at, uh, at, at WGN, which included DePaul and uh, pregame shows and, uh, and working with the late Bob Collins, who actually is credited with giving you your nickname. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he, he enhanced that nickname. I was called Spurs <laughs> okay. as a kid. Um, but, and actually, one day we were sitting around and uh, – and so, um, you know, uh, I don't know how it came up, but I said, yeah, and, you know, one of the, one, something happened in school. And so they said, hey, Swirsk. He goes, Swirsk, Where, what's that? I said, oh, that's a nickname I was called. And, and so he took it and ran with it. <laughs> yes, and so, but I'll tell you what, working with Bob every day was, an experience because at first I didn't think he liked me and you can verify this with Dan Fabian, our former GM and program director. So Dan has me doing, I mean, I was, I had left the loop with Stephen Gary because the, the station was going through a transition and GN called in late 81 and said, you know, what do you think? And I said, I'm all in. I, I actually took, a $10,000 pay cut, $10,000. And I was single, no family, no kids, whatever. And I said, well, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And hopefully things work out down the road. So I took a $10,000 pay cut. It's a true story. And I happened to produce uh, a show called Sports Central. I was co-anchor with Jack Brickhouse. I put the whole show together. It debuted April 4th, 1982. So it's coming up on the 40th anniversary. And 
I will never forget the first show because it was opening day, Cubs and Reds and Bump Willis yeah. hit a home. I remember that. <laughs> and, and so, and you know, you know, Bump Willis. I mean, you know, geez. And, and so, bottom line is, I did pre and post Cubs, pre half and post Bears when the Bears got the rights in '85, three years after I joined. I mean, I was doing everything. I was working split shift mornings with Wally Phillips, afternoons with Bob Collins, and Bob was indifferent to sports. But then all of a sudden, he found out I was a little bit quirky because I'm horrible around the house, <laughs> and I do really do stupid stuff. I changed the wrong tire of a car in a parking lot because this little old lady who was very sweet went into the Jewel Osco in Wheaton. And she had a flat tire and said, young man, do you know how to change a tire? Uh, sure. <laughs> no. Uh, and she goes, would you, can you change the tire while I go? I'll just pick up a few items. So I said, okay. So I, you know, look at this Jack. I didn't even know, okay, what do I do? Like, and, uh, but I got to work. I like changed the tire. I was pretty proud of myself. And I put the tire in the back seat and she came out. And she said, can I pay you? And I said, no, no, it's all good. So then um, she goes, oh, you know, I recognize your voice. Are you, do, you, do you work at WGN? Are you with Bob Collins and Wally Phillips? I said, yes. She goes, you're the Chuck guy. I said, yes. <laughs> and so she gets in her car, starts driving off. And my back is to the car, walking the story. Here, this, the thump, the thump the thump i changed the wrong tire oh man so I, hear, I see the brake lights and i ran into the store and actually ran into the produce section with those swinging doors and um, i i hid behind the iceberg lettuce tray and and so then i'm thinking oh my gosh she's gonna come and kill me so now i'm waiting out i must have been in that jewel osco for an hour because that tire was still flat. I had changed the wrong tire. So she had to hit somebody, not only change the flat tire, but change the other tire back to the regular. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, the next day that person calls Bob Collins on the air. I have a complaint, Mr. Collins. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That's good. I could just see you hiding in the lettuce section there, just waiting for her to get out of the get out of the yeah. parking lot. But but you know that that's kind of what goes along with the territory of, of working at a, a radio station like WGN because yes, I mean people know people feel like they know you. They feel like they they have rights to your to your internal business, and, and it's yeah. it's great because that's a great relationship to yeah. to kind of build with the with the audience. But that that that's funny. That's good that, stuff. You, you know what, Andy? I'll tell you what I I loved. Every moment at GN, um, the the ending was tough because we were losing the DePaul rights. And Dan Fabian was really upfront with me. And he said, here's the story. We have one year left on DePaul. I just made a deal with Northwestern. Dave Ennett is the voice of Northwestern. I knew Dave. I brought Dave back from D.C. to Chicago, and I loved Dave. And I said, I get it. I said, Dave deserves that chair. He is the voice of Northwestern. I totally get it. And he said, Chuck, you do know that this is the end of the DePaul run. I have no play-by-play -play for you. 
and my heart sank because while I love working with Bob in the morning and love doing the Cubs pre and post and all these things, Bears pre half post, my my heart there was a drive that adrenaline at that stage of my career that I wanted to keep doing play by play. Andy, this is an amazing story. So he tells me, Dan tells me what's going on with DePaul. A week later, out of the blue, Ernie Harwell, who I had met when I was 11, yes. okay, and this is now close to 30 years later, calls me up. And we, we spoke every week, like we talked every week, Andy. And he calls me out of the blue and says, hey, the guy at WJR just left to go to become the sports director at WWJ, and the Michigan basketball job is open and pre and post for football and reporting under Frank Beckman, who, by the way, just passed away, longtime voice in Michigan. But yeah, he's looking for a sports reporter, Michigan basketball, boom, 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 send in your tape. And so I'm thinking, okay, like I'm married. We have two kids, uh, you know, a third is on the way. Do I really want to uproot things in Chicago and leave? And Dan was saying, listen, I'll sign you to do an extension right now. I just can't give you play by play. So in a sense, it was a caveat saying, okay, like we'll, we'll take care of you, but we, we can't give you the whole piece of the pie. Right. So I, I sent the tape. They called me back like four days later. I, they put me on a plane. I got done with my shift. I was on a one o'clock flight to Detroit. I interviewed at four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, they said, all right, we're bringing in a couple of other people. I said, I get it, no worries. They called me back the next day and said, it's yours if you want it. So we made the move. And Andy, I'm gonna tell you right now, the four years I spent at Michigan, probably maybe the four best years of my professional life prior to the NBA, and that's not a criticism of GN, but I learned so much. The program director, Phil Boyce, who discovered Sean Hennedy and also made Rush Limbaugh like huge, bigger than life. And I'm not making a political statement. Right. I'm just showing you the savvy of Phil Boyce who saw talent and carved out a niche for this programming. And he basically said, I'm giving you the keys to the car for this department. Frank is moving to do the Tigers. And this is this your baby. Clean it up. Do it. And it was an awesome experience. It was like putting an expansion ball club together or changing the culture of a department. And it was fabulous. It was awesome. And then you're on to Toronto uh, from, from there, and then uh, you find your way back to Chicago and doing exactly what it is that you want to do. And yep. uh, that, that, it's, it's an amazing story. And, you know, it's one of those kind of things where I think a lot of people get into the business thinking, okay, this is going to happen for me right away. I'm gonna, I want to do Cubs play-by-play, -play, and I'm going to walk into that studio, and I'm going to do Cubs play-by-play. -play. I think that's kind of a testament to, to what it takes to kind of come back around, get all the experience you need to get, and then go ahead and do what you do and do it at a high level. Well, here's the story. I, I was very content at the University of Michigan doing Michigan games. I was an employee WJR, but we had the rights. 
and we had just signed a new five-year deal with Michigan. And Andy, as you know, you, you've done this a thousand times. There's something about being the voice of a major division one program because those alums are diehard. And I mean, they are passionate. And Andy, having left DePaul to go to Michigan, let me tell you what, I went, I'm not going to name names, but I'll tell you, I would, I, there are at least two Big Ten teams that their announcers, like they treated me rudely because I happen to be the broadcaster for Michigan. Mm. I, I mean, like, this is my job. And I, I get it. You know, there are rivalries, but this crossed the line. And I'm thinking to myself, no, like, we're all in this together. If I can help you out, great. If you need information, great. And all of a sudden, this is a different world, Andy, than I ever experienced. You know, DePaul was an independent when I was doing their games. I did them 14 years. And all of a sudden, you know, like DePaul's playing in this great Midwest conference with Memphis and St. Louis and Dayton and Marquette. And I'm thinking, okay, this is great. And all of a sudden, the Big Ten, completely different mm -hmm. animal. Wow. But uh, so the Raptor job opens and the Kings job opens. And I was asked to send tapes to both uh, franchises, which I did. And so I, uh, the, the King's job was you're going to replace Gary Gerald for about 20, 25 games because he's doing ABC uh, auto racing and you'll be doing the WNBA. And then when you're not doing the play-by-play -play of the Kings, it's pre-half and post. And the lure was, it's California. Right. I'm thinking, okay, great. Well, then the Raptor job, they said, you're doing 82 games on radio and boom. So I thought, okay, from an event standpoint, I'm, I'm going to make that trip to Toronto. We left, went to Canada. I did um, radio uh, the first year. The second year I did radio and filled in for John Saunders when he couldn't make TV. And then the third year, they gave me the keys to the car for TV. Yeah, that's a great opportunity. I mean, it's, and I, I remember you talking about how the, the experience in Canada was was such a great experience, and it was oh, it was tough to leave. I'm sure it was very very difficult to leave. You know, um, you know, some personal and family issues came into play, and uh, just felt maybe that was the time. But I'll tell you what, the people in Toronto, people in Canada. The Raptors organization, I've worked for two of the best human beings I have ever worked for in my life in uh, Tom Anselmi, Richard Petty, the owner, Larry Tannenbaum, just like Jerry Reinstorf and Michael, sold of the earth, just outstanding people. But, you know, I was able with the Raptors. I mean, it was great. You know, my boss was so good. The door was always open. I was in that that office all the time just talking about life and about events and about games or the team or whatever and i i've never experienced that probably will never experience that again because that was a unique period of time where the raptors were in franchise history i mean they everything was brand new yeah you know? yeah with uh squeaky clean and uh you're, you're basically again like you said with the the expansion team putting it all together and uh you get the keys to the car that's a great uh it's a great opportunity. Yeah. And then the Bulls, I mean, that, that came out of the blue. 
And, you know, they, um, you know, Tom Dore, Wayne Larrabee were splitting TV and they wanted a voice. And, you know, Neil was right there and slid over to TV and they called and said, you want to come back? And I said, absolutely. And so um, I'm very fortunate because, Andy, I, I, I work with a, a great organization, but I also work with Bill Wennington. And Bill, if you've ever seen the movie Big with Tom Hanks, yes. <laughs> where it's a story about a, a, a little boy, maybe a teenager, just on the cusp of being a teenager. And he goes to this, you know, um, kind of like a, um, a fair or, or circus or just uh, and and he puts coins in a machine and he makes a wish. And all of a sudden he's an adult, but really he's a little boy with the mentality of a boy. So that's Bill. <laughs> that is Bill. That's the way he played too. I mean, that's the, uh, you yeah. kind of got that. You kind of got that. Yeah. You know, Cause that, that night that he talked about uh, MJ uh, with the 55 points, he's the one that scored the game winning bucket down on, on a pass from, from uh, MJ in, yeah. in, in the garden. Yep. And, I mean, think about this with the egos involved in the NBA. This is how great Michael Jordan is. You know, here it's the stage of New York and everyone knows that MJ loved to play at the garden. And here he is, you know, he could have taken a tough turnaround jumper. He could have, but he didn't because he found the open man. And to me, that speaks volumes about Jordan, yeah, you know, definitely. So you're, you're, you get to come back to Chicago and now you're, you're seeing a lot of winning and what winning means now in the life and times of Chuck Swirsky is the victory dance. And yes. I'm telling you what, that thing has taken on a life of its own. The video from Steph No that's out there on Twitter, yeah. you, you, you do yourself a favor folks and look that up. He puts it to some kind of a musical with the, with cats and things and you're <laughs> dancing and it's, it's incredible. Well, here's the story of what happened. So last year, we're in the bunker of the United Center because fans, up until the last week or so, the fans uh, couldn't attend games. And I mean, the COVID was hard. It was hard on you, and it was hard on everybody. And there was a point where I was like mentally fried. I was physically just, oh my gosh. And so after a game, I in the in, in, we broadcast from Bulls TV studios. Rich Wyatt, who is a unbelievable engineer tech, like the best I've ever worked with and for. He is awesome. He brought in these big screen TVs, and it wasn't the same act, act obviously as calling a game, but it's it was pretty neat. So after one game, Bulls win. I was so excited. <laughs> and, and I just let, I just started to do this dance and he taped it on his phone. I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, you know, it's a dance. So we posted it and all of a sudden it went viral. And so we did that uh, every game last year. We didn't do it to start this season. And then all of a sudden, I'm getting these emails and tweets saying, where's the dance? Yeah, we come need on. the dance. So it's taken on a life because Steph Curry, who I knew from Toronto because his dad played for the Raptors. I've known Steph and Seth since they were children, literally children. And to the point where Steph, when he was like 10 years old, 
would come early to the Air Canada Centre in Toronto. His dad would show up four hours before game, three hours. They lived in Toronto. The boys would shoot baskets at the practice facility or the floor. Steph would say, Mr. Swirsky, never called me Chuck. Mr. Swirsky, can you put your hands up? And he would, at 10 years old, shoot over my extended arms into a basket just inside the three-point arc at, at 10 years old. So now we know and, where he got it from. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable. So I saw him a couple months ago. Golden State was here. And we, had, we always try and get together for a few minutes just to get caught up. And so I, I give him a, a hug to say goodbye. And he looks at me and says, oh, by the way, Chuck, guess what? I said, what? He goes, you're not going to dance tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, you, you know. It, you got to have kids. fun. And he, that's yeah, exactly. No, and I, you know what? And listen, it, I, I, it, I, I'm a horrible dancer. It's fun. It's just, a, you know, it's a celebration. Because, Andy, at the end of the day, we need to celebrate what we do and we need to celebrate life exactly and i mean i'm not showing up anybody i'm not showing up a team it's a 12 second dance we put it <laughs> online that's it i mean and so um you know if people like it great if people don't like it great you know what yeah to me it's no big deal it's happening anyway all right <clears throat> so let's see if you can celebrate something here because uh, all of our guests play this new game it's called one hit wonders in one second and our, our big voice guy will explain exactly what this means. Here we go. It's time for One Hit Wonders in One Second. So basically what this is, is I give you a choice of 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s. And I will play one second of a an audio clip to see if you can get the song. So okay, how about... 70s. Okay, we're going to go 70s. So here is the 70s one second of the one hit wonder. One more time. Here we go. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. Uh, think about think about I'll give you I'll give you a year. I believe that was 1974. And it is the story you can kind of hear the the marching drums. So it is the kind of the story about uh a marching band, so to speak, in a, in a parade route where folks are going to uh, going to war. So let me do it again. Andy, you got me. You stumped me. All right. Well, the group is called, it's Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods. Bo Donaldson. And it's Billy Don't Be a Hero. Billy Don't Be a Hero. Yeah. There you go. There's the rest of it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so no, uh, so no dancing now. Uh, I, so you'll have to have me back on the air one day so we can. Well, I'll give you uh, one more. Again. How about I give you one more? I'll give you a. I'll okay. give you the '60s one. This should be. This is should be pretty good for you. Here we go. Yeah. Um, something's happening here. Yep. Um, what it what it's not exactly clear. Yeah, Buffalo Springfield. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, so this is uh, this is one of those definitely recognizable. There's something happening here, 
Yeah. Good tune there. So yeah, yeah, you're one for one. That's that uh, one for two. I mean, that's okay. a, hey, you know what? That's a, that's an all star uh, in baseball. If you're one for two, right? I like my algebra. <laughs> Me too, <laughs> and geometry and all that yeah. stuff. That's why I got into radio, of course. But uh, it, I missed in this class that yeah. day. <laughs> exactly right. The uh, dog ate my homework. Uh-huh. No, you were sitting right in front. I know that. I, I know oh. that. Well, well, Chuck, it's the neighbor's dog. Yeah. Hey, thanks for being such a great sport, and thanks hey, for being you. Awesome. I mean, I, again, I, I really appreciate your friendship, and uh, it, it's meant a lot to me to know that uh, that, that you're on uh, on the side of a lot of guys that are going through some things that uh, you know professionally in this in this business. And it's it's always great to to know that there's somebody of your stature sitting out there saying, you know, I've been there, I've done that, I've got your back. Yeah, Andy, and and I hope this clip is not edited because I know. But so I just want to let you know and people know this. Andy busts this. T- Andy is really, really good. I'm not patronizing you. You're really, really good. And you're, in fact, you're very good. And I hope people understand that, you know, some, some things are beyond our control in terms of decision making, what, where we work, how we work, when we work, uh, and more importantly, believing in oneself and that's what i want to leave everyone with be you just you andy mazer is really good andy mazer is andy mazer okay someone uh who is looking for that guy in terms of andy is terrific so i just want to leave you with that thank you for having me on andy be well we thank you very much chuck for your time and uh, appreciate you appearing on the podcast here today All right, folks, we'll be back with more in just a moment here on the Andy Maser Podcast. The Andy Maser Podcast is sponsored by Roots Pizza, part of the 5050 Group, with four locations throughout the city of Chicago, South Loop, Old Town, Lincoln Square, and the flagship restaurant in West Town. Roots features quad city-style pizza with the ingredients on top of the cheese, and it's cut into strips. The crust is malted for that hint of sweetness with every single bite. And don't forget to order the mozzarella sticks. They are simply life-changing. Roots is open for dine-in and carry-out. And for the restaurant location near you, head to rootspizza.com or download the app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Rootspizza.com. Roots Pizza, take it from me, it's so good. Back to Andy. Once again, a big thanks to Chuck Swirsky for giving us some time today and appearing on the podcast. Always great to catch up with Chuck. He's one of the best in the business and uh, a real good guy. And uh, I know you you probably understand that now a little bit more after the interview, but uh, Chuck doing a great job with the Bulls. Bulls doing a great job on their own as they continue their season coming up here in the next couple of days. Well, I'm going to switch gears from uh, basketball to one of my favorite sports, and that's baseball. And that leads me to this week's rant. You got something to get off your chest? You know, something that's been eating at you. It's time to rant. Andy and 60. So here we go again. The billionaires and millionaires are still fighting, and we have no baseball to speak of. First week of spring training already postponed, and if there isn't an agreement in place by February 28th, the start of the season will be in jeopardy. Now, look, I know neither side wants to give an inch. Each claims they lost during the last round of negotiations, but, of course, that's not possible. The only people losing right now is us, the fans of baseball, who aren't getting what we want. 
Lost in the shuffle, as is often the case when it comes to the alternate version of reality being lived out by the owners and the Players Association. To me, it was the players that were actually shortchanged the last agreement, so I guess it's hard to blame them this time around for playing hardball. But there comes a time when enough is enough. Players need to play, and owners, well, they also need the players to play. There's got to be a common ground here, even if they do a short-term deal just to get things moving. This collective bargaining agreement is important to both Tony Clark, the union head, and Rob Manfred of the league, of course. Each need to show their constituents that they're the ones that won. But as is the case in this situation, does it really matter who won when we know that we, the paying customers, are again losing? Not just now, but losing interest in a sport that can't afford us to do that. Come to your senses, people, and get something done before we're done with all of you. And that's Andy in roughly 60. Uh, yeah, it's it's just never-ending, isn't it? But anyway, uh, those are my thoughts. Uh, I'm sure you have some. If you have uh, thoughts for me, you can always hit me up on Twitter. My handle is at Andy underscore Mazur. That's M-A-S-U-R and the number one. And uh, we'll put that in the description here. We also have an email address that you can send us some comments if you'd like to do that. And we'll uh, we'll read some of those on the air and uh, try to take some of your suggestions for, for guests as well. So basically what we're going to do is we're going to try to do this every other week. And uh, so we'll, we'll aim for a couple of weeks from today to have another podcast up and running. But again, we appreciate you checking us out here this afternoon or whenever you're listening to us and wherever you get your podcast, please uh, hit the subscribe button uh, so we know that you're out there and we will definitely appreciate that. Once again, our podcast sponsored by Roots Pizza, part of the 5050 group. And so we get together again in a couple of weeks. I hope you have a great one and we'll talk to you soon. This is the Andy Mazer Podcast.